Hi, this is Whitney and Hani again with the Resident Review Podcast. This is our continuation series on the nerves of the upper extremity. So if you'd like to learn about compression neuropathies, you're in the wrong place. You need to go to our prior uh, episode. And uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about the brachial plexus and some nerve transfers. So to start, we're going to talk about uh, the brachial plexus anatomy, and I don't find this super easy to do without a picture. Um, In fact, when I was doing a thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, I drew this on our board before we started so that I wouldn't forget. Um, So in fact, we recommend that you go online at www.resonantreview.com to check out the accompanying podcast notes and follow along uh, because there will be pictures there. So to start uh, with the brachial plexus, it starts with the roots. Um, So for the roots, these are from C5 to T1 and pass between the anterior and middle scalene muscles. Uh, Notably, the anterior and middle scalene muscles insert on the first rib and um, thoracic outlet syndrome is oftentimes caused by compression of the anterior scalene and middle scalene on the brachial plexus roots. And therefore these are the muscles that are released during a thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. In terms of nerves that come off, um, at the root level, uh, the only really significant one is the long thoracic nerve. It comes off of C5, 6, and 7. It supplies the serratus anterior muscle, and it's a nerve that can be commonly injured during an axillary node dissection for breast cancer. Injury to this nerve uh, leads to a winged scapula, and it's something that the breast surgeons love to test on. So moving on, now we get to talk about the trunks. And there are three trunks. There's the upper, middle, and lower trunks. And these trunks live in the posterior triangle of the neck. Um, The borders of the posterior triangle are as follows. So anteriorly, there's a sternocleidomastoid. Posterior, there's the anterior border of the trapezius. The apex, there's the union of the SCM and the trap. And inferiorly, there's the middle third of the clavicle. The suprascapular nerve arises from the upper trunk and supplies the supraspinatus and infraspinatus muscles, which allow for abduction and external rotation. Moving on to divisions, each of the trunks gives off an anterior and posterior division, and there are no nerves that come off at this level. So quickly transitioning from divisions to cords, um, the cords are named for the relative position uh, in comparison to that axillary artery. So the lateral cord gives off the lateral pectoral nerve, The posterior cord gives off the upper subscapular nerve, the thoracodorsal nerve, and the lower scapular nerve. Of note, if you don't know this, the thoracodorsal nerve controls the latissimus muscle, super important nerve. Um, And then there's the medial cord, which gives off the medial pectoral nerve, the MABC, and the medial brachial cutaneous nerve. In regards to the MABC, it travels medial to the brachial artery and becomes superficial in the middle of the upper arm. This makes it vulnerable to injury during brachioplasty. Um, This nerve provides a branch proximally that provides sensation to the skin overlying the biceps and then distally to the ulnar, volar, and dorsal sides of the arm. The medial brachial cutaneous nerve provides sensation to the medial part of the upper arm. In terms of now, finally, the terminal branches of the brachial plexus, there are uh, five terminal branches. This includes the musculocutaneous nerve. It's uh, from the lateral cord. It's 
uh, course runs in the intramuscular septum between the biceps and the brachialis and terminates in the lateral cutaneous nerve of the forearm. Of note, the lateral cutaneous nerve of the forearm can be injured during a radial A-line insertion, leading to pain over the lateral wrist, uh, specifically directly over the FCR. And the reason I say this is because it was a test question several years ago. So the lateral cutaneous nerve of the forearm provides sensation specifically over the FCR tendon. Um, in terms of muscular innervation of the musculocutaneous nerve, it provides motor innervation to the biceps and the brachialis, which contribute to elbow flexion. The next terminal branch is the axillary nerve, which is from the posterior cord. It innervates the deltoid muscles and injury to the axillary nerve is often due to dislocation of the shoulder, leading to lack of abduction and internal external rotation. The final three, um, terminal branches of the brachial plexus are the radial nerve, the median nerve, and the ulnar nerve, which we reviewed in our prior podcast on compression neuropathy. So if you'd like to hear more about the anatomy of the radial, median, and ulnar nerves, please tune in there. All right. And now for what we all came for, brachial plexus injuries. So let's start with a brachial plexus birth palsy. Um, risk factors include shoulder dystocia, gestational diabetes, and forceps delivery. In the clinical presentation, it's what we all learned in med school. It's an upper root cervical injury, which is an herb Duchenne palsy with lack of biceps or deltoid function or lack of wrist and finger extension. Now, traumatic brachial plexus injuries are more common than birth injuries, and they're, they're generally related to traction from high velocity causes. Crush and open injury are much less common. Now, in regards to treatment for outcomes, the best predictor of outcome is the time from injury followed by age. Um, in regards to diagnosis, on physical exam, the key muscles to there are key muscles to evaluate to help determine the level of the injury and plan for reconstruction. The trapezius confirms spi spinal accessory nerve function involvement. Um, the serratus muscle um, is, uh, lets you know if the long thoracic nerve. Um, has been affected. If this is out, it could suggest a very proximal injury. The supraspinatus infraspinatus muscles um, related to the suprascapular nerve, these test for C5 and C6 injuries. For the biceps, and that's for the musculocutaneous nerve, that tells you whether there's involvement of the lateral cord. For the pec muscle, um, there's the lateral and medial pectoral nerves. Now that tells you whether the medial and lateral cords are involved. There's the latissimus, and once again, shout out to the thoracodorsal nerve. That tells you whether the posterior cord is involved. Um, for the triceps, obviously that's a radial nerve, and that tells you whether the posterior cord or C7 are involved. And then for the interossei, that tells you whether the ulnar nerve is involved or C8, T1, and the medial cord. Now, other than physical exam, you can also do EMGs. Goals of treatment for uh, brachial plexus injuries are elbow flexion, shoulder stab stabilization, and then wrist extension and finger flexion. Now, there are common nerve transfers to know. For elbow flexion, um, there's the Oberlin transfer, and that's a transfer of the redundant branches of the ulnar nerve to the biceps branch of the, um, the musculocutaneous nerve. There's also the Oberlin-McKinnon transfer, and for that, you transfer redundant branches of the ulnar nerve to the biceps branch of the MC nerve. You also transfer redundant branches of the median nerve to the FCR or FDS to the brachialis branch. For shoulder stabilization, there's an accessory spinal to supraspinatus transfer as well as the medial triceps to axillary. And for intrinsic finger function, you take the AIN from the median nerve to restore ulnar intrinsic function. function. So um, just to reinforce, because we get asked about 
a question on this every single year when you have a high ulnar nerve injury, whether regardless of whether it's with the brachial plexus, it could be at the level of the elbow. The best treatment at, for recovery of ulnar nerve function is an AIN nerve transfer. Uh, this is because it reduces the distance at which the nerve needs to regenerate in order to provide uh intrinsic hand function. Um, and obviously that's really important to the function overall functioning of the hand. And you can perform an AIN nerve transfer in two ways, either an end to end. If you think that the nerve, uh, the ulnar nerve is completely out or it's a really high injury or an end to side, if you're doing it kind of like as a babysitter procedure while you're allowing the ulnar nerve that you repair primarily more proximally to regenerate. Just a couple final other nerve things. Some things that we oftentimes talk about are neuromas and patients do get sent to plastic surgeons to have treatment for neuromas. There are two major types of neuromas. One is a neuroma in continuity. Uh, this is a neuroma within an intact nerve, and it's a response generally to damaged fascicles that fail to reach their distal targets. The treatment for a neuroma and continuity is um, operative resection using a nerve stimulator to identify and microdissect out the non-functioning fascicles. In terms of a traumatic neuroma, this is obviously a neuroma where the nerve is no longer in continuity. Uh, this often occurs following nerve injury, um, and it occurs at the end of the nerve due to disorganized and unregulated nerve regeneration at the distal portion of that nerve. Uh, generally causes point tenderness for patients and can oftentimes uh, adversely affect amputation patients. Uh, the treatment for a traumatic neuroma really depends on the location, but can, it can be treated with excision alone versus excision and TMR, which is becoming increasingly popular in lower extremity amputees. Uh, so with that, that concludes our run through of the brachial plexus and some common nerve transfers. Obviously, again, like we said, this is a kind of difficult topic to talk about without pictorial help. So um, if you'd like some extra um, pictures to help as you follow along with this episode, please log on to our website and follow along with the show notes. Thanks you know so what much. they say, Whitney. What? The picture's worth a thousand words. <laughs> That's right. Probably about 10,000 of our words, in fact. <laughs> As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.